0: This podcast is called Obsessed Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest Get some secrets off their chest You should listen, it's the best Hello and
1: welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw I am sitting in the fancy, feral audio studios With a great guest, the CEO of the Minerva Project, Ben Nelson Hi there. Hi there. Thank you so much uh, for doing this.
0: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So I just need to know, I've read it on the old internet, but in your own words, what is the Minerva Project? Because it sounds like some sort of evil scientist (laughs) conglomeration (laughs) in the DC comic book universe.
0: Well, it's funny because uh, there is a Minerva Project, uh, which is... Uh, out of D.C., which is a kind of a – funds a bunch of scientific projects, which is not us. We're very different. (laughs) Sadly. Um, And so um, the Minerva Project is uh, effectively an attempt at a higher education reform, at getting higher education to be both more effective and more purposeful in what it does, um, and it's a very long-term idea. <laughs> okay. we, you know, this isn't one of these things where say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll do this and in three years everything will change. Just you know? real quick we'll
1: fix all of exactly. higher education. yeah, all over yeah. the world. That, that doesn't really happen <laughs>
0: very fast. Um, and so what we did was we actually started our own university program uh, to demonstrate that you can actually start the world's best university from scratch. Okay. And that if we can do that, from basically a a standing uh, start, uh, that pretty much any existing university has no excuse not to follow. Okay, and this is this a physical campus, a physical? So it's it's we we what we did was we rethought what a university experience is all about. Okay, and so it's a residential program; all the students live together. Okay. But rather than building a theme park around them where they could (laughs) go and, you know, play on water slides and ride the Ivy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We we figured that it's probably a good idea that if we're going to try to educate some of the best students in the world and after they graduate, they may be running some of the major institutions of the world they should probably understand how the world actually works. Okay, uh, and so removing them from society, perhaps not the best idea. Ah, okay. Um, so what we did is we we found residence halls in various parts of the world, and the students uh, spend their first year in San Francisco, living in the city and using the city as their campus. Okay, and then the next three years they live and move together and live in six different countries uh, in each one, a different country in every semester. Okay, cool. Um, so so they really get to see how the world works. Yeah,
1: so the total opposite of comic book fantasy, full <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> engagement in the actual real world. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and now, I, I also read up a little bit about you personally, and it seems like you took a, a long journey to get to where th- this part of your life, where you're yeah. fixing all of higher education. <laughs> uh, so you were a part of uh, Snapfish, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about Snapfish.
0: Well, um so I, I spent a but little over ten years uh of my life at at Snapfish. So Snapfish is the world's largest online photo uh and personal publishing network. Um so it's where you can get your photo prints or okay. photo books and calendars and things like that. And it seems like it has nothing to do with what I'm doing now, um, and on the surface it 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 does only tangentially, but um, it had a couple of important lessons and and reasons why it led me to do this. So, one was Snapfish does operate in in uh, 21 different countries. And, okay, uh, and one of the reasons that Snapfish was so successful is that it didn't just try to have everybody come to just use the Snapfish site. In fact, the majority of Snapfish's transactions and revenue and things like that comes from sites that operates for other uh, retailers. Okay, And so it was a big lesson that if you build a really, really great product, you can find better distribution by actually going to people who already serve customers already. Uh, and similarly, the way that we approached Minerva was kind of with that idea from the beginning, rather than trying to create the world's biggest university or to somehow educate, um, you know, everybody ourselves, which doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sense. What we wanted to do is have a very small university that you show that see how good it can be, and then enable other universities to adopt that model. Okay, cool. So that so- was a big, a big contributing factor.
1: Awesome, so between all these life experiences at this point in your life, what is your noun? What do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself an entrepreneur a a, a superhero of education
0: <laughs> you know uh it's it's kind of an interesting uh question um i would I would put myself somewhere between a reformer and a zealot uh, <laughs> official
1: uh, business terms right? yeah
0: official business terms um and and that's because I think when you find a mission, um, in life, when you find your life's purpose, it's, um, it's hard to defocus away from that, Yeah, right? It's not, um, so, you know, when I was, when I was finishing up my tenure at Snapfish and I was thinking about what I wanted to do next, I'd been there for 10 years and I was thinking, what am I do with the rest of my life? Yeah. One thing that was very clear for me is that I didn't want to sell widgets anymore, okay. right? I mean, I, you know, as wonderful as the experience was, I realized that if if I didn't, you know, go and, you know, made Snapfish what it was or contributed to that, the world would probably be pretty much exactly the same. (laughs) It was no difference, right? So if somebody wouldn't have used our service, they'd used another service, and maybe they would have paid a few pennies more or had lower quality product. But the world would basically be the same. And what I realized that was important in the next chapter of my life, if I had as much luck as I had at Snapfish that I wanted to put it towards something that actually was meaningful. Um, and when I went back to the idea, because this was an idea I developed when I was in, in college, when I went back to this concept and, and said, yeah, you know, I could actually take a lot of the learnings of what happens in the Internet and how you take an idea and bring it into something that's that's real and substantial and moves the needle in the world, at least in the sector, you, you then have a... Um, just a moment of clarity and um, that moment of clarity can drive you and it can drive you pretty endlessly um, you know and, and you know when I when I it's kind of funny because I think I've only been doing this for seven years yeah and in Silicon Valley seven years is for most people an eternity <laughs> and for me it's a blink yeah right because because I mean from my perspective I will die in this job um, if people will not kill me beforehand, which gets I'll also die <laughs> in the job. So, um, just more violently, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, it, it's it's hard to imagine how um, you know I would get up one day and not be ec- ecstatic about the idea of going to work and furthering the cause.
1: Yeah, it's a huge mission, and uh, I assume it is. Motivated by your obsession that we're going to talk about today, which is education in right. general in the big picture. Right. So, for what what does education mean to you?
0: So, education to me is um, really synonymous with learning to be wise. Okay. Right, and that's a very different take. From most people's view of education, but when most people think about education, they still are in the world where they where they think about kind of an acquisition of content. Even when you ask universities, what's your mission? Why do you exist? They'll say, oh, we're here to create and disseminate knowledge, right? Create and research, disseminate in education. But in the world that we live in, dissemination of knowledge is not actually done in educational institutions. It's done you know, as it was done after the printing press, right? Yeah, it was it's done, done on by, Twitter right now. Right? It was done yeah. on Twitter. It was done. It's done on, on Google on the internet and Wikipedia. It's done, obviously, even better in you know published research that you vet, uh, uh, etc. But the dissemination of information is not really what education is about. Right? Yeah, education should be about, you know, even in the world of the dissemination of information, how do you evaluate? Whether or not the piece of information that you're reading is accurate, how likely it is to be accurate, what degree of accuracy yeah. does it have, et cetera. Not to mention then what do you do with this information? And so the, if you really think about that, it's, it's, it's practical knowledge. Yeah. And a good education teaches you how to appropriately apply practical knowledge to the given situation in yeah. which type of practical knowledge. And that is actually the definition of wisdom. You know, when somebody is wise, it's not like you go to somebody and you say, oh, you know, I'm struggling with uh, this concept or this problem. Uh, and they say, oh, I have encountered this exact problem in my past. You know, <laughs> this exact scenario, oh, I know Tommy and I know yes. what he did and, and I know how you should react. Philip no. also broke up with me. Yeah, yes. exactly right. It's, it, it's not the same thing, right? That's not That's not how it works. It certainly is not – Somebody is saying, Oh, I studied this exact scenario in a class. Yeah. You recognize patterns. You see uh, uh, different elements that you can apply to it, what we refer to as habits of mind or foundational concepts. And then you are able to transfer ideas from one field to another, from okay. one domain to another. That's wisdom. And it turns out you can actually teach that. Really? Yeah.
1: Uh, is it just uh, a matter of the way in which you teach that you uh, don't have as much emphasis on facts?
0: So it's a combination of what you teach and how you teach it, right? And this is really the, the key of what an education is. And this is um, sadly not something that we discovered, right? So it would be one thing. <laughs>
1: you didn't disseminate that knowledge, right. create and right. disseminate right. that right. knowledge. Right, we did
0: not create that. Uh, We're trying to <laughs> disseminate it in many ways. But it would be one thing if we were to say oh you know we've we've made this shocking discovery and we've kind of gotten to the root of education that has not been known to humanity before and now we're kind of bringing it forth it turns out we've known this for a long 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 time
1: we're <laughs> just really we've crappy at applying it right exactly
0: <laughs> exactly we we just don't have an educational system that has until now really had an incentive to do this and and so the the idea is and and this is really one of these um amazing findings is that when when you learn, for example, to think critically in a certain domain, it is shocking at how little that domain can be transferred to another domain. So I'll, I'll give you an easy uh, example that I think people can uh, can at least it's relatable for me. So imagine <laughs> imagine you you know you were going to a, a doctor and you weren't feeling well, right? Uh, and the doctor, you know, could easily diagnose the issue and she would say, yeah, you know, I can prescribe any one of four medications, you know, to you. But she knows the illness. She knows, you know, obviously how old you are and how much you weigh, et cetera. But she would need to know two things about you before she would know which of those four medications to prescribe. What are the two things that she would need to know?
1: Uh, about me in order to, to figure that out? Yeah. Uh, am I lying about anything?
0: Huh? No. no yeah, <laughs> yeah, if you're lying, it's true. That's, that's important. But, so, for, but, but what are the things, kinds of things that she would need to know about you personally that she need to ask before she would know which of these four? They're all equally effective, but they could react differently to you, right? Why would okay. they react differently?
1: Uh, medical history.
0: Right. Right? So, like, what medical history you have, what other medications you may be taking. You know, a smoker. Right? Are yeah. you a smoker, et cetera. Right? So that's one, you know, one thing. What's the second? Uh, so not a trick question.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I, it's uh, how many podcasts do I do a week? I yeah, don't know. exactly. I mean, honestly, right. I don't so, know. A- allergies. Right? Allergies. Okay.
0: So, so, similar, right? Similar thing. But basically, you know, when you take medication, it can react with different right. elements of, of things that happen in your body. Right? And so, the doctor knows this. We know this. The doctor, in fact, asks these questions. 20 times a day. Yeah. But if you were to ask that doctor, for example, what does she think about some healthcare legislation, right? Yeah, the doctor may say, oh, it's a good idea, bad idea, I'm for it, I'm against it, right? Reference things, et cetera. Yeah. Almost certainly, the doctor won't say, well, I wonder, once this idea becomes a law and gets implemented- How will that law interact with other laws that Uh, are already on the books? Okay. It's the same idea. Your body's a complex system. The legal system's a complex system. When you introduce medication into your body, you're introducing a foreign element into a complex system. It's going to react with other elements in your complex system. Much like when you introduce a new law into a legal system, it will interact. Okay, Right? But even though she understands how important interaction effects are, yeah, this medication is designed to cure this problem, but if it will interact with another piece of medication you're taking, you, yeah. you may die, right? That guy Therefore, drinks
1: too much and yeah. does too many podcasts. E- this will exactly. kill him. Yeah. It's
0: killed him. He's got to quit the podcasting. <laughs> um, the same thing can happen with legislation, but but the doctor won't understand the idea of complex systems interactions in a practical way. She'll understand it in a domain-specific way. Okay. And so the way you actually teach someone how to apply it more broadly is that you have to teach the conceptual idea you have to contextualize it right yeah but then you have to recontextualize it over and over and over again so then when you teach it in medical instance or legal systems instance and maybe even in a personal uh, uh, instance yeah then when somebody deals with it or or encounters. Yeah a time to, uh, to deal with complex systems interactions in, let's say, uh, an economics environment or a market environment, it'll immediately occur to them. It'll become a habit of mind. It'll become something that they look for. Just
1: train them to ask those questions. Exactly. And say, oh, cool, cool. Uh, that's an amazing and uh, awesome idea of education. And I like it because at least partially that's uh, how I was educated. I was in the International Baccalaureate in yeah. high school, and it was uh, not as, uh, I think, wise as what you just said, but definitely taught a little bit more of, like, question things. Right. And, like, in particular in our history classes when we wrote about why an event happened, it had to be the social, the political, and the cultural. So, you know, to get you thinking a little bit about, like, one thing does affect another thing, and we're not all in our own lanes of knowledge. Exactly. Um, but I want to go back to your experience as a a child in like your first experiences with education. Yeah. Did you like going to school in like second grade where you're like, hooray, I'm learning. I love education."
0: <laughs> um I I like going to school, but not because I was learning much because my parents are are both educators. My my mother was a teacher, my father's a scientist, and my mother eventually became a scientist and worked with him. Um I like going to school because it was a lot of positive reinforcement because they they taught me all the stuff already. Okay, so I was I was always a good student uh, and it it made the ego feel good. But it was actually school was very boring for me. Okay, um, and I but my parents really I mean basically everything Minerva is is basically a manifestation of how I was brought up by my parents, layered by the science of learning given that I, when I actually started this university program, I had real academics come in and say, oh, you know, all of those instincts that you had growing up, turns out they're actually proven by science. Okay, cool. Um, and so my it was really the way I was brought up by my parents, this whole idea of transfer, of learning something in one context and applying it to another. Um, my my I grew up in Israel, and my parents, uh, being Israeli, when they watched the TV, they believed that they could hear their TV could hear them, and therefore they were constantly talking to the television. were they especially just
1: frustrated that it didn't frust- answer?
0: Yeah, no, they they just assumed it, it understood okay. right and so uh, uh, and so when uh, you know before Alexa, right so there was, there was an idea that that there was a sentience there um, and so when when they were watching, for example, political shows. They were, you know, screaming at the television saying, you know, how could you say this? How could you say that? And oftentimes my father, as an example, would apply scientific principles to predicting political outcomes. Okay. And, you know, most people when, you know, when when dinner parties or things like that, when he would, you know, present these ideas, people thought he was nuts. So (laughs) what does one have to do with another? But Overwhelmingly. It turns out that his predictions turned out to be true. Okay. Whereas all of his friends or others that were, you know, theoretically in in you know in the field and all the rest really couldn't see what was in front of them because they didn't really understand how to analyze the situation.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, how was your social experience? Because I feel like education can't really be removed from the social, right? I mean, in terms of transfer. Yeah. Did you... Was it a pleasant experience for you? Because I think from my own cultural bias, a lot of times people who have a super easy time in school because they're well-educated at home, they're smart, sometimes that can lead to not great social experience yeah. in education.
0: Yeah. So my social experience certainly in primary and middle school was not great. Okay. Uh, it was certainly not helped by the fact that I moved a lot because- You know, I it was started in Israel, so I was in Israel in first, second, and fourth grade. In third grade, I was in upstate New York for the first time. I was the first time I lived in the U.S. Uh, Then I went back for fourth grade. Then I came back to a different school in fifth grade. So you know, so whatever social friends you know and circles I had constantly got broken down and and rebuilt. Um, But by high school, I wound up. Finding a a group of very close friends that I was very very close with, I had a, a pretty good time in college as well. I had fun. Um, so socially, I found uh, I actually found that I I could always find individuals. I, it was less a clique. It was less that you know, for example, I had four very close friends in high school, uh, uh, and they weren't really close with one another. Right? Okay, they were you know they they had different. Uh, groups that they hung out with and some overlap, but, but I connected to them individually. So um and I think the same thing was true in, in college. Um so I always preferred to connect with the individual rather than the, the group? The group.
1: Was that ever frustrating though, where you did you have events where you tried to pull your different uh friends out of their social group? I mean just yeah. to me not, not to be uh overly make everything a simple uh, metaphor but i mean that sounds like transfer like were you able to pull them out of their groups in, yeah. into a group and um, and see what it's like when they were like at your birthday party or at your event or whatever yeah
0: so um so we did uh quite often uh and um you know we i was uh just recounting my 18th birthday party uh <laughs> with uh, with one of them who actually introduced us uh um and uh, uh and, yeah, so, so we, we could bring them together because, again, I think the fact that they were also my friends, were they were different. And the reason I was gravitated towards each of them is because they weren't like the other people in the group. Okay. They were more individual-minded. Yeah. Right? And which is why, you know, they had a broader... Breadth of 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 experiences yeah. themselves.
1: Were you cognizant of that? Did you like look at a specific group of like those are the jocks, but that jock I I recognize through my scientific yeah. you know <laughs> ability to see is that's the jock who's different. I shall befriend that jock, or was it just you naturally gravitated towards
0: I, individuals? I, I wish I wish I was was that. I think it was more natural gravitation. Okay. Um, and it, it, that's actually one of the interesting things about a good education. Because a good education becomes automatic. Yeah. it becomes part of the way you think, and you don't become conscious of it, right? So I ref- used this term before called habit of mind. When you train your mind, uh, or uh, somebody else trains it, as my parents trained it in mine, to to basically automatically recognize patterns, you don't actually realize you do it eventually. Yeah. Um initially you do. Initially you, you say, Oh, okay, I need to look for this, I need to filter that. Um and usually that actually comes from bad experiences, right? That's where wisdom historically comes from. We don't have a right. structured education. Don't
1: touch the hot thing. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Don't touch the hot thing. Make the same mistake, you know, have socially awkward eight years in school and then <laughs> say, hmm, not a good idea. I'd rather not repeat that. And so you finally see pattern yes. recognition, which is like Oh, you know, trying to befriend the popular person, you know, and then getting burned, you know, for the twelfth time—probably not a good idea to repeat. So, but this time will be different. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, so your parents gave you this good start in education, and certainly made school easy for you, uh, and, and put some of these larger ideas in your head. Was that helpful for you as you got to to higher learning? Were you able to recognize quickly, this is knowledge I can apply, and these are just facts I'm being asked to memorize?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, In fact, by the time I got to college, I was so um, bizarrely interested in the concept of education. Okay that I I gravitated towards immediately trying to change things in my university. Uh which is very odd, but my my first year in college I I I talked my way into this class that didn't let first years in, uh but it was about the history of universities effectively. And you know the 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 class was the first semester was about the history of universities and the second semester was really about how they engage with society around them. Okay. Primarily with the focus of the university as a resident of the city. Mm-hmm. But when I kind of read about the history of universities and saw how important they were to society, I figured that the interface there was actually much more important than how it treated the local community um, and in really how it interfaced with by producing its graduates and, and all the rest. And so... Uh, my my freshman year paper was uh, effectively about how to fix the curriculum at the university. <laughs>
1: how did that just, go over?
0: Really um, <laughs> it, it was really absurd. It was – my professors were very supportive. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, this is great. So I marched the paper, like, into the provost's office. Uh, and the provost um, – uh, you know to his credit he he you know he read it and you know he did like the he marked it up right oh, so he gave okay. like the red marks and it was like oh this is grammatically incorrect and <laughs> all the rest of it I really didn't need uh but it was appreciated i guess um but you know it was generally dismissive right yeah. it was you know and 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 but it, it was the beginning of the obsession yeah. right and so when when i i started saying, look, you know, this is a better model. And it was a much more degraded version of what we're doing now. But the core idea was there. The the pushback was not in in relation to what Penn was doing. It wasn't – no one made the argument that what I was proposing was not better than what we were doing. Okay. The argument was – you know, either, oh, it needs work, it needs to iterate, et cetera, which is obviously legitimate, um, but it was really about but it's never going to happen, okay, because what I found <laughs> out was students weren't at the university to learn, and professors weren't there to teach, and administrators were there to raise money, and that combination of factors meant that the actual product, the actual core of the educational mission of the university was more of a, well, you know, it's a way to distribute budgetary funds from different departments, and, you know, if you actually have a core curriculum, then you, you know, like, who is going to take the, you know, enough hard history classes because they won't come for the requirements, and, you know, it was just a a really sad, you know, almost realpolitik way of looking at shaping a mind. Yeah. Um, And... And so I gave up. I spent four years trying to to lobby for this. Oh, really? Yeah. So So basically the majority of my time in college I spent on trying to fix the university.
1: Did you feel like you got the education that – were you being educated at the same time or were you really like young and hot stuff? You had a good idea and like – I will bear it while these so, professors try to teach me in a bad way. While I try no, to change the system.
0: So I was, um, I was really lucky. So I was, so I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I was in the honors program at Penn. Uh, and so uh, the nice thing about that, which, which. By the way, today, I would probably not even get into Penn. Oh, really? This was a, this was a wildly different time, right? Okay. Where, when you applied to college, I mean, Penn's acceptance rate was close to 30%. Okay. Right? It was a very, very different era than it is today. Um, and, and the honors program, what it did is it gave you access to these small seminars with the best professors on campus. And... I, I actually wa- was so focused on my education, I, I took more honors classes than any student had in history. Oh, really? Because I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about my major. I didn't care about any, you know, so I just minimized the amount of time that I went on the st- on their structured program at the university and tried to create my own education. And I, I went and worked with professors to create new classes, to effectively pilot these ideas. Okay. Um, and, so
1: you were sort of using yourself as the guinea pig to prove correct, that this would work? Correct,
0: correct. And, and, and I did it like in bits and pieces, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, and it was never, re- I never really did it, I never really implemented, but I figured, oh, you know, I, get, I, think, I'm, I think I'm learning, um, but I t- basically did it all myself. Okay. And I didn't know what I was doing. And it turns out, um, when you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't work. <laughs> so when I graduated, so here, you know, here I spent my four years as an undergrad trying to fix the system, trying to create my own education for myself. And I go to, you know, and I fail, right, because they don't change. And so I, I give up. I graduate and i go to work. And in my first job review, I'll never forget this. I went to a consulting firm which had students from all the Ivy League universities and they all had, to, you know, different different roles. And you know, I got a, what was comparatively supposedly a very good review, like top of my class. And
1: this is your job? My, your my job, job. My job. Okay.
0: But the review was awful. And basically the review <laughs> said, you don't know how to think. It, yeah. Wow. It, it was, wow, right? Yeah. I mean, so here I spent four years. I, could, <laughs> I helped the honors program start a class called How Do You Know? Okay. Right? Specifically to figure this stuff out. And it just wasn't any good. Yeah. It didn't work, right? I didn't. I made stupid mistakes. I would. I would do work. I didn't sanity check my numbers. So you know, the cal, I thought the calculation was right, but it would come up with an answer that was an order of magnitude too big, given the size of the market. And I didn't. I didn't instinctually catch it. And you know, all sorts of other things. Yeah. Right. Um. That college was supposed to teach me, and I was trying to. And again, it's not like anybody else was do, doing did well on these metrics in in this in this segment we're basically all uneducated and that was such a stark you know recognition that you know so many people say oh you know just just ask students uh you know what they should learn they, they'll figure it out yeah that is this really stupid <laughs> idea like really stupid um it's it's like you know it's like imagine you know, I I like to use medical analogies a lot because I, we all we all go we to all doctors we all to, have yeah. to right. So imagine that you busted up your knee and you needed surgery. Yeah. Right. And so you go into a hospital and the doctor, you know, puts under the local anesthesia, and, you know, cuts open your, you know, your the your skin and and then you know takes out a scalpel and then and before he does anything, he turns to you since it's local, you're still conscious and he says um. What do you think I should cut first? <laughs> hey, you think you think I should cut that tendon or, or this? You know, yeah. is that what? what you know, what, what do you think? I mean, if you had any wits about you, under local anesthesia, you would be running out of that room, right? <laughs> one-legged hopping yes. over. Power right, there's, hop. right? There, there's no way that you'd let him operate on you. Education is brain surgery. It, yeah. it is, it is rewiring your neurons, and so you want your brain surgeon to ask. Yeah, wh- what do you think I should rewire? <laughs> you know, like do you think, you know, you should learn this or that. I mean, that's absurd. Yeah. Right? Now, when you think about what content you're interested in learning, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Right? So but when not you think, how to learn it. But not how to learn it, not you know, how to how to look at the world, how you have systems of thinking. This needs to be left up to professionals. Right? <laughs> or um, students who are right.
1: changing the system from the inside. Right.
0: Or or at least being pushed right yeah to, to get people who know what they're talking about to construct these things so even when even though I had these core theories as an undergraduate I didn't know how to put this all together
1: yeah so I want to ask you about that because uh, uh, you were speaking passionately about rewiring uh, the brain to have this perspective of education to to, re- to relearn the, the transfer idea but then you're also talking about just nuts and bolts application. Yeah. Just basic information, how to get by in the world and literally do things. Yeah. So how much of education do you think should eventually be when you go out into the world, you are going to be doing X. So here's what to actually expect and plan for.
0: Well, I think a lot of them are one and the same. right? I mean, you know, I don't think it's an accident that universities... Say they teach you how to think critically, yeah, or they teach you how to solve problems, or they teach you how to understand how the world works, or to communicate effectively. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we do, no matter what field we go into. Yeah. So obviously, there there are things you need to know that are field specific, but those things are much, much, much easier to learn. Yeah. Than actually changing the way you approach problems, changing the way you approach dealing with other people. Yeah. Right. And those things are going to be the determinants of whether or not you get the job, whether or not you're successful at your job, et cetera. So I I, I think oftentimes people like to make this false dichotomy where, oh, you can either get the quote unquote soft skills or quote unquote hard skills and the hard skills are the things that people care about and the soft skills are nobody really evaluates them and all the rest. But the fact of the matter is soft skills aren't that soft, right? Doing very deep analytical work is, quote-unquote, a hard skill. Yeah. It's transferable, but it's very difficult to learn, and it's equation-based and and, and all the rest, or at least, you know, uh, um, uh, systematically analytical. Yeah. Um, Whereas a lot of content stuff is relatively soft, right? You don't have to really remember... You know, X, Y, or Z, you have to really understand perhaps like the underlying principles yeah. and how to apply them. And so that dichotomy doesn't it never made sense to me, right? And um and and to me, the greatest lessons I got when I was in college were not ones that were part of the course. They were actually things that I I encountered. Outside of, or by talking to my professors about why they made the decisions they made, okay, uh, in structuring the course that did, and, and then I, it was just some brilliant insights.
1: Yeah. So I think this is my bias, so, and you are an education a mastermind, so by all means, I might be full of crap, but, uh, <laughs> but I always wrestled with wanting there to be more application, and yeah. application can be like I'm a doctor and I know what part of your knee to cut, yep, or it can be. I studied philosophy, so now I have some ideas on how that might actually change my behavior or relationships. Um, Absolutely. One of them, I, I had a triple major that I put together, which is partially because I wanted to learn those things. And I also got out of uh, having to do a language and yeah. have to get up every day. Uh, so only so high-minded on my part. Uh, but I was really excited to do this new program at the University of Minnesota at the time, which was uh, Cultural Studies and Comparative Literature. Mm -hmm. So previously it had just been, here's some stuff Freud thinks. And this new program was, here's some stuff Freud thinks. And now we're going to read Dracula, and we're going to say, what would Freud say about Dracula? Or one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And then I was like, ah, I love this now because it's not just boo-doo-doo. And we had one class where the professor said, like, we don't need – that application stuff is BS, so here's just you're gonna write a paper every week about Freud, and he got deep into like you know the oceanic feeling and sort of like how basically getting getting down to some sort of like so you know so our connections to humans are it's just you know instincts, it's meaning that's and he just really getting out there. And I remember asking him, "Was like you have you spend a lot of time in class talking about your daughter, and you just went on a long speech about how relationships aren't real, and that's what we've learned from Freud." So like, do you ever apply that? And he's just like. Never thought about it.
0: Moving on. (laughs) You you hit the nail on the head. Applications are actually the only way to get students to cement these ideas in their mind. Right? Because an original application, again, this is what wisdom is. Yeah. Wisdom isn't uh, thinking about an abstract idea in the context that you encountered it. Yeah. That's absurd. That's not wisdom. That's just regurgitation. Yeah. Right? Maybe it's 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 no transfer analytics, which is you 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 have some particular field and you're like, well, you know, what's the underlying principle behind it? Write the paper about it. But wisdom is by definition a novel application. That's what it is. Yeah. And so we hunger for the ability to do that. Right? In fact, our brains want to be able to to understand this. And when you apply, that's when you actually exercise your ability to truly cement the idea in your mind and in fact, this is one of the, the great secrets of education the only way for you to remember is for you to be engaged with the material. okay so if you do not in, if you're not engaged, you can cram and study for the final and you know and pass the final but then six months later, if you're given the same final with different questions, you will forget 90% of what you were supposed to remember from a lecture test-based class. Right, because you you
1: haven't been thinking about it or applying it. you've You've never applied
0: it. You've never applied it. You've never actually struggled with it, right, and internalized the idea. Whereas if you do an active learning class, a class that has applications, same professor, same subject matter, same quality of students, two years after the class is done, you should be able to retain 70%. Okay. So you go from 10% retention to 70% retention, right? And this is the pedagogical element. This is the element of not just what you teach, but then how you teach it. And applications are the root of that. Yeah. Right. So, for example, in Minerva classes, 100% of the time you spend in class is application. You do all of the content acquisition outside of class, you do your readings, you do some problem sets, some some assignments, et cetera. But when you go into class, it's novel application.
1: Yeah. And okay, cool. So do you crave yourself being educated? Like if you could snap your fingers and somebody could just come into the room and start educating you on yeah. a topic, what would you want to be educated on right now?
0: Well, it's it's kind of funny because um I often have to remind myself that I do not have a Minerva education. Right? <laughs> so, uh, so I see our students developing in understanding the world in ways that I don't understand. Uh, and that's perhaps the most um, – s- the saddest thing for me personally <laughs> because, you know, I – I mean, obviously, having thought of many of these things, I have some of the instincts, but they're not systemic. Yeah, and uh, and so oftentimes I have conversations with my students, and I, and it reminds me I'm not a an educated person. So <laughs> so the first thing I want to pen honors, you know, not educated, huh? Well, it's you know, this is this is really what drove me to go back to Minerva to begin with because the whole premise, the whole concept about why I thought it was so important when I was an undergrad is so the, a liberal arts education, the whole point of a liberal arts education is this. It is to teach practical knowledge, right, yeah. in Benjamin Franklin's words, or useful knowledge, in Thomas Jefferson's words, in order for our republic to work. I mean, it is the basis of of non monarchic systems of government. Yeah. Right. And so, and by the way, that's not just the American model. It's any model where you are not born into your station. You actually require a, a citizenry from which you can select people, whether they're voted or appointed or what have you, that can transfer ideas from whatever they did before to governing. Yeah. That's the entire <laughs> point. That's the. In the an extra point. frustrating one right, right. now yeah. in our world, isn't Correct. it? Correct. But, you know, but this is a problem we've been encountering for a long, long time. And the world today is unforgiving. You know, I, 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 I don't know if you had a chance to read Team of Rivals, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book on Lincoln uh, and, I have and his cabinet. Um, great book. Highly recommend it. But what was amazing when I when I to me, and this you know, how strange my mind works, the main takeaway for me from that book was Lincoln made some disastrous mistakes. I mean, disastrous in the Civil War, trusting the wrong generals, leading men to their slaughter, you know, and making those those types of decisions. And then he had six months to course correct. Okay. Right? Because <laughs> the world was really slow. Right, right, and so you just had a lot of time. You know, you had a, a very clear enemy, and you knew, you know, what they were doing and their strengths and weaknesses and things like that. You're like, oh boy, that was a mistake. So, boy, I guess three years into the war, I'll fire the general who is basically a traitor. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, so in, you, you, we, and today we just don't have that. Time, yeah. The world moves lightning fast. I mean, you know, an errant tweet can learn to lead to World War Three. It might right? be
1: while we're recording right. this. Yeah, right.
0: The 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 bombs may be flying <laughs> already. Right. It's a, it's a good run. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's it, it's really we we just not only can we not afford not to have people who have wisdom run in the show. Yeah. Um, we just. Can't afford even wise people. We cannot afford for them to take the time they used to be able to take. And so, my hypothesis when I was an undergrad is, if if we don't fix this, we're going to be in a world of trouble. Yeah. Right. And and I'm not just talking about politics. I'm talking about the people who run companies, the people who run nonprofits, the people who are trying to lead the charge in scientific research, the whole climate change thing, everything. Yeah. And. And what I basically saw over the ensuing, you know, fifteen years after making the hypothesis is, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you you could you could see high IQ people, uh, who are well intentioned, who are trying to do good things, and just screw it up, yeah, constantly because they're making stupid decisions, yeah. So and, it, it, and it's not about intelligence. It's not about lack of learnedness. It's not about lack of educational degrees. They're just unwise. Yeah. Right. And so to me, seven years ago, when I started doing Minerva, remember, seven years ago was before the era of our current politics and theory. (laughs) um, But to me, it was clear as day. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, it was, again, people who I may have disagreed with or may have agreed with because, you know, political parties change in power and all the rest. it, there's there wasn't you know there were CEOs that that you know of, of major corporations there were people in public policy everywhere, and it was a lot of lazy thinking a lot of you know mistakes and these mistakes affect people's lives
1: yeah constantly right? every second every yeah.
0: second right and and they affect their livelihood they affect their health they affect their their, their longevity their um and, and oftentimes these are life and death decisions. And we just can't afford to stand by. We can't afford to be to say, "Oh, okay, well, you know, you know, you have a degree in chemistry, so from a great university, you'll figure it out." Yeah. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Here, are the grammatical
1: errors on yeah, your paper, right? But I'm sure your knee will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to our how obsessed are you question. So these are questions I ask everybody across all the, the episodes of this podcast. Do you think about education every day? Yes. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your job and it's obviously been your passion for a really long yeah. time. You thought about it when you were at Snapfish, right? Because you were yeah. trying to apply what you had tried to apply in college. I,
0: I, I've thought about it since high school.
1: Okay. Okay. In high school was really the epiphany point for yeah. you.
0: High, high school, yeah. High school was when I mean, much like I, I tried to rethink college when I was in college. When I was in high school, like every time I got a chance to do an independent <laughs> project, I was like, "Oh, how do we fix the education in this place?" <laughs> right. So it was. It's always been in my mind.
1: Okay. When people walk into your home, can they immediately tell you're obsessed with education just by looking around? No. <laughs> is your home a mystery is it a
0: um no it's it's um a playground for my two young daughters okay so they they will look and they'll say are you a toy hoarder I mean that's um, <laughs> that perhaps is the first uh first impression
1: are a lot of the toys education oriented
0: um I'm Probably not more than the average uh, home. I, I I have very uh, odd views on primary education. So okay. For uh, uh, for me, you know, far more the most important thing you can do is teach somebody uh, to be bilingual. Okay. Uh, and so my daughter six is in the, the French American school, and you know she's uh, a, really an exceptional human being and very very smart. But when you when you when you have Again, this is all part of transference when you have two systems of thinking and they um, and they're in the same person, and you have to constantly go back before, between one and the other. You you create a natural proclivity for, for transference.
1: Yeah, because it's with language in particular. It is I'm saying the same thing, but with different nuances. Exactly, and, and so... it's the new.
0: It's not the same. exact it's not the same sentence structure. It's not. The, it's very different nuance. It's very different meaning for different words. Some lang- you know, in some words don't exist in another language. You have to kind of paraphrase and them. it's
1: basically what it means, but not quite. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. so then you're like, well, if I'm a surgeon, I will apply this knee surgery knowledge to my taxes, the yeah. way I yeah. would with yeah. language. <laughs> not quite the same, yeah. but a little different. Uh, have you ever had uh, that dream that you're making a presentation, but you forgot to prepare anything?
0: Well, no, because I almost never prepare for presentations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a great way to avoid nightmares yeah. is to just embrace them.
0: I don't have a very good memory um, okay. But I'm actually okay at having a conversation, as most people are. Yeah. And I think of presentations as basically having conversations. Sometimes, you know, the audience doesn't respond for 45 minutes. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but to me, it is so much easier to get up in front of a crowd, having no idea what I'm going to say, and then start engaging in conversation, as opposed to trying to memorize what I need to say 45 minutes and try to recall, oh, what do I need to say now? What do I need to say now? Yeah. So I never prepare. and um, I mean, I don't know if people enjoy what I say when I, when I give <laughs> presentations, but at least I have a good time.
1: It seems like you have come to certain analogies that you feel are effective for communicating your ideas, like over the course of this podcast. Did those come up then uh, for yourself as almost like um, just over time, like yeah. – verbally, you said it once, and you're like, oh, yeah, and you don't try to remember it, but you're just like, I go to my knee surgery example.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and it it's taken years to get to some of these. Okay. I mean, you know, so like the knee surgery one, I, I maybe started eight months ago, seven okay. months ago. That's a fresh one, all right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but most of them are, because I think what you find out is it, the, the world presents you with learning yeah. all the time, and so- and an analogy or an example that you give that you think is brilliant one year, you'll learn more and more, and then you'll realize, oh, well, you know what, actually, you know, you could refine it. You could make it better. Right. Right? Um, so, for example, the the medicine example of, of the complex system interactions, I've been using that for three or four years. Yeah. Because that, to me, is one of the clearest. I've tried others, but this one is one that people just have a more instinctive yeah. understanding of. Yeah. Um, there are others that just occurred to me recently. Um, and, you know, you play them out and you see how people react to them. And that's really the point. The point isn't um, – it's not to win a debate. It's not to, uh, to be clever. It's you get your message across.
1: Yeah. And that's a great – that makes a lot of sense to wanting to be a little bit more uh, fluid in your presentation. Right. And it's just like here is wisdom. I shouldn't have to write wisdom down if I truly have it. It will come out as I chat.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, cool. Would you get an education-based tattoo? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> why not? It's your, it's your guiding light.
0: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not into tattoos. I'm not, uh, you know, um, so again, probably the exact same reason we had the previous conversation, right? Things evolve. Yeah. Tattoos do not. <laughs> <laughs> they do very painfully. Very painfully. Very, very painfully. Good. painfully. Good. Yeah.
1: So. Uh, why are you not a tattoo person then? Just, just because of the, that evolution? Uh, is there anything that would make you want to mark your body? No, no, no. You just want to be able to be in that constant state of fluidity. Yeah,
0: it's exactly. It's like I'm, I'm, I don't. Uh, um, I, I, I must say, I just, don't, I don't get it. Okay, right. The other thing is, you know, I also, I mean, I love art. Yeah. Um, and um, my taste in art evolve. Okay. Right. I mean, I, I, th- I think if you are not evolving, you know, I had a, a rule when I was when I was eighteen years old. Yeah, I'm very, I'm a very odd person. So I make, I make That's all great. these, all these like rules. And so one rule I made when I was 18 is that if I, when I was going off to college, I said if I recognized the person who lived in my body 12 months before at any given point, I was doing something wrong. Really. And that was something I, I held to my core. And between the ages of 18 to 26, which is roughly the time when your brain plasticity. Basically stops being totally crazy, and yeah, um, I had no idea who the person was that was in my body twelve months before. I was horrified by what that person did, thought, you know, et cetera. I was like, "Why? Oh my god, who who was that guy?" I mean, <laughs> embarrassing, right? Um, and um, uh, and that just continued. Yeah, um, and I thought that was so good. Now. Now I'm, uh, you know, I'm an old man. I'm in my forties, uh, and that's um, something I think we need to rewire. Yeah, what is yeah. old? What is old? Uh, uh, only but, half my life. Right. Exactly. Now I get to feel old for, uh, for, half, again, for, of for my half my fucking <laughs> exactly. life. Let's rewire that. Yeah. Um, but I, God, I hope I'm still changing. I yeah. hope I'm still growing. Do you and, check
1: in on New Year's and go? Ah, I got to change something.
0: You no, know, I should more than I do because you know because the rate of growth changes pretty dramatically. Yeah. Um I I check in on milestones milestones just further apart you know yeah. I think about who I was when I started Minerva seven years ago very different person okay uh and and to me that's that's good, but I can't do it every twelve months anymore
1: no do you want to be better by some metric of your own oh, mind absolutely. or do you just want to be different of like I like Pur- Purple is my favorite color now. Like- yeah,
0: I I think better is better than different. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I um I'm not I, I I do believe that that you that there are things that are objectively better. I'm not a okay. you know uh, I'm okay, you're okay uh, in all things. <laughs> so yeah, I do think that that one should look to improve themselves.
1: Okay, I I I agree with that. I think we need a little bit more of like no, that's. Yeah. I heard your The point of listening is to hear your argument right. and then say, well, I listened and that was good, and now exactly. I disagree with you. Exactly. <laughs> and bye, <laughs> if necessary. <laughs> Would you get in a fight with a family member if they insulted education? Uh, sure. Sure.
0: Like, not not a physical <laughs> not fight. A physical yeah, one, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, an argument? Yeah. I mean, but we, I would get an argument with my family if they, you know, disagreed on how yeah. good a f- dish of food is. Is that so, uh, just culturally a part common. of your, yeah. your family that yeah, we, it's we, okay to yell? When we talk, we basically argue. I mean, it's, it's the arguments are, are the. The the basic mode of communication in my family.
1: Okay, so I'm from the Midwest, and you know yeah. I, some of the passive aggressive stereotypes are true. In that sort of yeah. like a raised voice yeah. is the <laughs> worst thing that can happen over a family dinner kind of thing uh, happens. What is your family's version of that? When when do you if yelling at the TV is the starting point? Yeah. Of communication, uh, what what crosses the line? Do You have to get physical to cross the line? No. What we'll crosses
0: the, we'll cross the line is funny enough is is uh, is not listening. <laughs> it's not okay. engaging ah. right so so avoidance oh. is unacceptable in our family that's great yeah it's uh and you know, and that's, it's a very, it's almost a difference. Like, the, if you want to be passive aggressive, that's, you know, yeah. it makes people very upset.
1: So, like, the most offensive thing you could say is, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah,
0: that's like, that's <laughs> unacceptable. I, I though, believe me, I've tried it, but <laughs> it, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But you were passionate o- enough about education, obviously, that you would defend it, even if it meant crossing some boundary of culture.
0: Yeah, uh, look, it's when you're, again, when you're a zealot. Yeah. You're not – it's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay to send your kid to Brown, right? (laughs) It's not okay to have them design their own education. Yeah. That is not acceptable. Okay. Right? Right. Yeah. 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 You've come to that determination, and
1: to you, that is not better. Right. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Would you have an education-themed birthday party?
0: (laughs) Um, no, because I'm also not into imposing. Okay. <laughs> into mean, convincing.
1: But it's not um, imposing if you tell people ahead of time and it is their choice to come or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, but what, what would an education-themed birthday party be? It just doesn't sound like a lot of fun.
1: Well, if you just what? said, come to my birthday party and we will all leave with some kind of knowledge we can apply oh. tomorrow.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, because sure.
1: that's then almost like a, a kind of a party yeah. game of like... What what do you know? What did you experience this week that I can turn into? Wisdom? Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. I was thinking more about like you know, dress as your favorite textbook, and that's not. <laughs> I don't know if that would work, but uh, I would
1: love yeah. to do that one. <laughs> I know which mine, uh, which one I would dress up is uh, an old astronomy textbook. I didn't understand what was inside, but I liked the cover because it had space on it. <laughs> So it definitely addresses that. Uh, if you were blocked from entering a classroom where you were uh, teaching or educating in some way, if you were physically blocked by a bear, would you try to get around the bear?
0: Uh, get around the bear? Yeah. As long as it didn't have to be proximate to it where it could kill me. I'm not into death. <laughs> I, I generally, not better. Yeah. Generally, I, I believe that living to fight another day is probably a good idea.
1: <laughs> uh, but – if there was a, a situation where, um, let's say it's something like high stakes to Minerva, yeah, right. You're going to make a presentation that's maybe mm-hmm. going to help with funding or whatever it is that you need to make the next step. Yeah, but you do physically need to get around a bear. You don't need to fight it. You just need to either get the bear away from the door or take the physical risk of squeezing past.
0: Oh, I'd get the bear away from the door. Okay. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, squeezing past a bear, <laughs> again, again, really important for Minerva. But if I die, uh,
1: that's not. Does yeah. Minerva die with uh, you if a no, bear mauls but,
0: you? No, but I would like to see it through. <laughs> okay, I mean, fair I, th- I think the idea is is uh, is out there and doesn't need me anymore. But uh, I, I, you, you know, we have this concept in. Uh, in Judaism called Nachat, it's like when you get, um, uh, um, good feelings by seeing others do. Okay. Um, and you know. Yeah. You want that. Yeah. Yeah, You don't want want the bear to take that away. No. Yeah.
1: So do you have any applied, uh, uh, wisdom, wisdom that you can apply already from life that you could use to get a bear away from a door?
0: Well, to get a bear, they don't use human psychology. So you have to know some things about bear psychology. What I believe is you have to make yourself bigger, make loud noises, yeah. uh, not carry food on your person, uh, you know, those types of things. Okay, <laughs> look at man. You're right there with it. That's great.
1: This is the last How Obsessed Are You question. If every time you learned a new idea, someone else in the world forgot an idea, would you still want to learn new ideas yourself?
0: Um... If they were forgetting bad ideas, sure. <laughs> and who are the people? There are some people who don't use the ideas they learn at all. So if this is actually
1: you have turned this into a positive thing where you could use it as a superpower to target bad yeah. ideas from people you dislike.
0: Absolutely. Learn a
1: new idea, drive a shitty idea out of somebody else's head. Or
0: or, or drive ideas out of people who are gonna use them for bad things. Yeah. I mean there are there are so many people who use, you know, People who are half educated are much more dangerous than people who are not educated. Yeah, right. Uh, Because then they, you know, they think they know. You know, it's also the concept of a sophomore, the wise fool. Yeah, right. The person who thinks they know what they're doing, but they don't (laughs) really, and so then they stop listening and stuff.ing So, um, yeah, there there are circumstances.
1: (laughs) Okay, is there any one specific idea that you would push out of want to push out of people's heads?
0: Um, yes, absolutely. Um, overconfidence. Okay. Um, you know, the lack of humility is, um, it's a disease. Um, and the concept that people who have the certainty of knowing with no basis, they heard it on the radio, they, you know, they were born into a belief system and they're like, oh yes, it has to be right. And that has to be wrong. And, um, That is it's it's a cancer.
1: Yeah. So you feel along with your uh, checking in with yourself once a year to to uh, observe your growth. uh, Is that humility for you? Is that making sure that you always question so that the the person you were a year ago who is convinced of certain things by refreshing your questioning those things?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, I, I'm, I, I am not someone who has weak opinions. I'm very strong <laughs> in my opinions. Yes. I'm, you know, uh, In some ways, I'm, I'm very absolute about a lot of things. Um, but it doesn't mean that when I hear a reasoned argument, when I hear a thorough systemic takedown of my belief system, I would be the first one to say, hallelujah. OK. Right. Um. And, and you have to have, you know, being confident is important, but being inappropriately confident is the cancer.
1: Yeah. OK. That makes a lot of sense. I just think that this is a big issue right now where yeah. uh, I think the argument that, well, are, do you have an open mind? Have you heard all the arguments is being right. misused as an argument. Correct. And to me, open mind is like, yes, I will sit down and listen to your reasoned takedown of one of my absolute beliefs. But that doesn't mean that I will. Agree Correct. with your reasoned argument, but my, my mind was still open. Your idea Correct. was dumb. Correct. <laughs>
0: exactly right.
1: Yeah. Can you make a noise to sum up your obsession with education?
0: Oh, um, it would require a very large scream into this microphone. It may hurt people's ears. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can you do a very quiet version of it? Um,
0: It would be... <sighs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's like it's it, the noise that embodies when you go to somebody with a penicillin pill and they say, "No, no, I'm going to stick to leeches." Yeah. Right? It it's just infuriating.
1: Okay, so your obsession on some level is about being infuriated with wanting things to be better. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Uh I like to have people rate their obsessions on a scale of 1 to 7, 7 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. It's just random because I like 7. <laughs> so where would you rate yourself? On a scale of one to seven,
0: um, you know, it's interesting. I would actually rate myself around a six. Okay. I mean, it sounds it may sound like I'm I'm kind of off the deep end, but you know, when like when it's time for opera, I go to opera. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like I don't I don't do this twenty four seven.
1: Yes. Yes, I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I for me, seven is when it's like a part of every. Moment of your yeah. existence. Which like, it is not. No, and you're like, eh, maybe a birthday party. Yeah. What's this about a bear? <laughs> you're not like... So you've got some places yeah. where you're holding back. Uh, besides Minerva, or I guess um, if you want to point people specifically to where they can learn more about Minerva, are there stuff that you want to plug?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we just published uh, a book about a month and a half ago called Building the Intentional University. Uh, we didn't publish it, MIT Press published okay. it. Um, and I pretty like the fact that the subtitle is Minerva and the Future of Higher Education, which is nice that an institution related to MIT is admitting that. So that's nice, uh, uh, Some that's humility. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Some humility, which is good. Um but it is it is not a, a popular uh, title, meaning it's not a, a title that's meant for people who are just, oh, let me casually understand something about Minerva. But if you're in education, if you care about education, if you care about the future of our education, if you want to really understand what it is to go from first principle through research to design and to actually create an entire very intricately designed brand-new approach to something, I think the book is worth getting into. Um, it's dense. It's a 400 pages and small type. Um, uh, but it really gives a broad overview of what we teach, how we teach, and how we operate. Um, and so I would I would encourage people to do that or just go to our website. Um, you can go to Google Minerva. Uh, we come up at or close to the top or... Um, our university is at minerva.kgi.edu or minervaproject.com.
1: Cool, cool. And do you have a desire for people to find you personally on social media? No. Okay. uh <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask for any of your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: no, I mean, if you if you want to follow, you know, Minerva is, it's not about me. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a particularly high public profile and... Um, I don't think I need to. It's, it's not the point isn't oh, look at what Ben Nelson is doing. It's you know, get educated right? And yeah. so if you want to follow on social media, follow at Minerva Schools on Twitter or <laughs> you know or go to the Minerva Schools page on Facebook or what have you. but I, I'm not that relevant.
1: Okay, fair enough. Well, in uh, total contrast to that, here's a bunch of plugs for me and my social media presence. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out my Star Wars podcast feed for Center. And for info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums and stuff, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. I've got a bunch of live episodes of Obsessed coming up, one in Minneapolis in December and one in San Francisco in January. You can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you get access to our monthly patron-only bonus episode where my wife, Sarah, and I talk about something we are obsessed with in the moment. Full info on that, patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, so here are some final questions. They don't have anything to do with your main obsession, but they can if you want. If you actually did have a nickel for every time you did a specific thing in life, what thing would that be?
0: Explain what Minerva is. <laughs>
1: Explain what Minerva is. You can just see those nickels falling oh, in your yeah. mind. Do you just do this on a day to day basis? Like if you go just to a restaurant? And... Everywhere.
0: <laughs> Everywhere. And I try to avoid it sometimes. I'll, you know, say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I work in education. Oh, you know, and then it's. Thirty minutes later. Okay.
1: Yeah. And do you always enjoy it, or you, you, it sounds like there's a little bit of dread? Like uh, a common thing that happens with comedians, is especially like on air flights, uh, yeah. where people are like, "So what do you do?" And as soon as you say comedian, it's just this weird barrage <laughs> of assumptions and questions and insults.
0: Yeah. It's um the to me what's actually interesting is this is the the this is actually where I do come into it because I'm the founder of the university. Yeah. You don't meet people who found universities every day. And so there's a um there's this kind of then assumption, it's like, oh, you must be different, special, et cetera. And I don't think I am. And um, and that makes me feel uncomfortable because I don't like, you know, when you interact with people, it's um especially because we are on a mission and and trying to do things, you know. It's one thing to proselytize about somebody else's religion. Yeah. It's something else to proselytize. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> you know, and so um, – and that's the only reason why I, you know, if I was anybody – if my role was anywhere else, if it whenever was somebody else's idea, I would be nonstop, yeah. you know, pitching it, talking about it, et cetera. But because – it was my idea yeah i try to i try to suppress that fact as much as possible when i meet people and then when they eventually say well what do you do there and so you know hmm. i run it and you know <laughs> and, and they're like oh is it your idea and then i have to go through that
1: and you just change the topic to opera yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could shoot one of these two things out of your hands which would you choose lightning or soup
0: Lightning. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when people answer these questions like I'm dumb for asking them. Of course, Lightning. What's wrong
1: with you? (laughs) Now, why would you want Lightning? Do you like Um,
0: superheroes? Um... Sure, you, you you like superheroes, and I would just imagine that lightning um, would get people. Well, I mean, soup would definitely get people's attention. <laughs> but in a different um, way. Just in a very different way. But I'm also, I'm not a huge soup
1: fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if you would have said
0: something like chocolate or lightning, okay. well, then that would be a little bit harder. So <laughs>
1: Fair enough, yeah. it's a shot in the dark, so who knew? But uh, won't be dark long with your lightning hands. <laughs> the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happening? Happiness.
0: What is happiness? Um, That's a really, really hard question, but I will I will give you a very uh, absurd point of view. Um, Happiness in many ways is being content. uh, And a, a big part of being content is just that it is realizing that your your needs, what you believe your needs are, turns out are not your needs. Um, People think they need a lot more than they do. My my wife always yells at me about this because uh, my mother is a a Holocaust survivor. And so, you know, my wife always says that my perspective is, well, you didn't go through the Holocaust. So, you know, give it a break. Right. Um, Which is obviously absurd. um, But the fact that you have people who are perfectly content in life that have gone through unspeakable horrors and um, trials and tribulations, and they've come out as positive, happy, contented people, and then you look at yourself and you say, I'm not going to be happy unless I'm going to have that second piece of pie or that person gives me respect or all all of that. If you have that attitude, Newsflash, you're never going to be happy. Yeah. Even the moments of happiness that you're going to have are going to be fake. And so to me, the core of happiness is realizing that you just need a lot less than you think you do.
1: Yeah, that is a great answer and a a nice stress-relieving answer. Uh, for me is a good one to hear today and we'll see how long I can retain that uh, knowledge and see if I can actually apply it to my life today
0: excellent well then I would have done my job
1: (laughs) (laughs) perfect thank you so much for doing the podcast
0: thanks Jess appreciate it
1: that is our podcast you've been listening to Obsessed Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories
0: with the rest rate five stars if you're impressed